Welcome to another episode of Code for Thought. I'm Jacqueline Laird, the Communications Officer at the Software Sustainability Institute, and today I'm joined by Gemma Derrick, who is the Associate Professor of Research Policy and Culture at the University of Bristol, and is also a member of the Organising Committee of the Hidden Ref. Gemma, would you like to let us know a bit about what the Hidden Ref is? Brilliant. Thanks so much for having me, Jacqueline. So the Hidden Ref was an exercise that was run in parallel with what we called the Mainstream Ref, which is the UK's Research Excellence Framework. The UK's Research Excellence Framework is uh, run every six to eight years in the UK, and it is it determines the distribution of what we call QR funding, which is a huge amount of money from the UK government for research uh, activities within universities. It is assessed on three different criteria. One is um, the output, so publications, uh, mainly publications, which is basically, you know, the the articles that researchers publish about their research findings in the academic publishing industry, which is sometimes actually very closed off to members of the public unless they publish open access. Impact, which is case studies of how uh, universities' research has influenced Uh, society beyond academia. So this can be from creating a particular screening service for um, um, uh, abdominal aneurysms, or it can be stopping people from smoking. It can be uh, creating a spin-off company to create, you know, gadgets for whatever. It's it's really quite broad. But the other one is um, environment. And environment is the way in which your research culture uh, supports uh, and uh, provides a strong or sustainable and um, sustainable basis for research to happen in university. In the 2014 exercise, which is when it was last, it was formally run, about 97% of the submissions to the outputs criterion were publications. And in the 2021 uh, exercise, which is the most recent uh, round for the Research Excellence Framework, 98% of publications were submitted to the outputs, or 98% of the outputs were publications. This is really interesting because we're really interested in that 2 to 3% of, of submissions to outputs that are valuable but are not necessarily in the publication literature so they're not in the academic literature and these include uh, aspects of research called you know things like software for example uh, reports all these types of things that are very important parts and very important outputs of our research culture but are not necessarily refable and the problem here is that universities are very much um aligned with the idea as whatever gets evaluate is evaluated is what we value and the Hidden Ref wanted to, the Hidden Ref acknowledged that research culture in the UK and research culture globally is much broader than the production of publications or academic articles only. And in fact, there are many different outputs, people, environments, ambitions that are not refable, but are still very important creating a, a diverse and holistic research culture. So the Hidden Ref wanted to, basically, what we wanted to do is we wanted to to pay attention to those aspects of, of research culture in the UK that are, that we produce but are not refable in a way of, you know, saying that these, these things are valuable too and we wanted to give them a good voice and to celebrate them rather than just evaluate them. We're very privileged, all of us who work in research, to work to be able to work 
in a culture that is dynamic, full of new ideas, etc. Um, and it's an it's an amazing place to work. But the Hidden Ref wanted to promote research culture and promote the aspects of research culture beyond those things that are evaluated in the mainstream ref, which is why we call it the Hidden Ref, because these are the outputs of research that are hidden that are not necessarily promoted uh, front and center in the ref results, but they are extremely important in creating the type of research culture that we operate in. You yourself are on the organising committee. Could you tell us a bit about how the Hidden Ref was actually formed and the role that you play in the organising committee? Well, I, yeah, I think the first thing that we need to acknowledge is that the Research Excellence Framework, the REF here in the UK, is an enormous part in dictating and shaping research culture in this country. Um, and there are, you know, opponents and proponents of the, of the REF. It can be a good thing, it can be a bad thing, and everybody has an opinion about a REF. That motivates a lot of people to do things that perhaps that's outside the normal confines of their research contracts. So the organising committee was a whole group of volunteers who felt, who felt very strongly about the potential of the hidden ref to celebrate all that's, all that's exciting about research culture. So it was my, manned by volunteers. I, I can't really remember how I got involved, but I remember getting an email from Simon, who's the chair of the organising committee, saying, hi, we're doing this exercise. Would you be interested in joining and I was just so inspired by the whole idea and really inspired by Simon Hetrick, who's our chair as well, that I said, yes, count me in. And so it was, I thought that it was going to be less work than it actually ended up being. But we we're also motivated and we were all such a wonderful team that was so um, orientated towards the positive uh, aspects of research culture and um, that we ended up, you know, pursuing this this idea through to a large amount of submissions and assessing things differently. That was really motivating to everyone, I think. It was the idea to do something differently and to celebrate. And also, you know, the hidden ref and the ref, the mainstream ref, happened during the pandemic. And there was a lot of bad stuff going on and everybody was under pressure and huge amounts of work and, um, you know, pivoting things to online for our students and having to deal with homeschooling or, or whatever that we were doing that it was an absolute breath of fresh air to start focusing on the good aspects and to start focusing on celebrating people and creating um, creating reasons to celebrate people. In the end, when we had when we got the submissions and every and we got the winners, I think that we ended up trading on smiles. And during that particular time, it was extremely inspiring exercise to be a part of. So uh, that's how I got involved and that's how we continued. And now that we've finished the first round of the REF, we're looking towards uh, the next round of the, of the Hidden REF and how it can play, what it can play in formulating and feeding into the mainstream REF in terms of valuing and evaluating aspects of research culture that it hasn't considered before. And can you tell us a bit about uh, the types of nominations that you received for the first round and maybe about the winners and why they were chosen? Well, the categories for the Hidden Ref, there are over 21 categories for the Hidden Ref, and these are aspects of research culture that aren't refable. And when I say refable, I mean they're not counted as part of the mainstream ref. Um, and these are things like training materials, uh, they were physical artefacts, exhibitions, performance, 
GRIMPACT aspects of citizen science, as well as the type, as the category that I was overseeing, which was the hidden role. And these are these people who make it absolutely essential for research culture and universities and research organisations to continue, but are not submitted as individuals to the REF. So we really wanted to shine a spotlight on these people and to tell them how important they were. So it was broad, 21 categories, evaluated over four panels. Um, it was really quite broad. The way we developed this is that we uh, we basically surveyed um, a number of people uh, individually as well as put our heads together. We had a number of you know experts in research culture on on the panel who were able to decisively uh, indicate those aspects of research that were overlooked by the mainstream raft and we were able to develop those categories. There, I should actually say that the 21 categories that we use for the Hidden Ref 2021 is not exhaustive. It's something that we will continue to um, expand and continue to uh, shed light and a big, beautiful spotlight on those people who contribute these things as we understand a little bit more about what is uh, covered and what is not covered in the mainstream ref. That's our ambition. Our ambition is to celebrate the aspects of research culture that make it possible but are not necessarily formally evaluated in the mainstream ref. And what, what's on the horizon? What's going to happen next for the hidden ref? We had an absolutely successful run uh, in 2021. It was all done um, online and virtually, and we're hoping that the next renditions of the hidden ref will happen at least part in, um, in person as well. It's really funny because uh, the organizing committee, we got on so well and we had so many laughs, but we've never met each other in person. It's just, we've had the, all of the meetings and all the evaluations uh, virtually. This was really good too, because uh, the evaluations, we were able to get a number of experts from around the world to sit on our panel to assess each of the submissions. Um, and we had four panels and some of them had um, an evaluation panel up to 10 people to be able to work with the number of submissions that we have and to work through each one to be able to find a winner and highly commended. I should actually say that everybody was a winner in the in the Hidden Ref. Everybody got a reward for participation. So we we're able to celebrate absolutely everybody who was submitted to the Hidden Ref. One of the things the Hidden Ref wanted to do is is we wanted to, you know, celebrate those aspects of research culture that we are not uh, included in the REF. But the also the thing we wanted to negate the idea that these aspects of research culture can't be evaluated. So one of the one of one of the responses and calls for a more inclusive evaluation framework to research culture is we don't know how to do it. So you say how do we how can we evaluate citizen science? They say we don't know how to do it. And this is quite a legitimate uh, reason not to do something, uh, especially not to do uh, evaluate that aspect in a framework as large as the, as the UK Research Excellence Framework. So what the Hidden Ref wanted to do is say, OK, all right, we're going to work out the how. And we're going to work out exactly how we can evaluate these aspects of research that you say are not difficult to do and there's no evidence. And we want to contribute towards constructing that evidence so that next time we suggest that you evaluate something that isn't part of the mainstream ref, that we provide it with an answer about how to do it, not just a moral argument of whether we should do it or not. 
so so now that we have all of these uh, all of these experiences in evaluating you know these twenty one categories of of hidden aspects of research culture, we hope to develop on those involving you know ongoing dialogues between ourselves as a committee, but also the people who acted as evaluate evaluators and panelists. Uh, to be able to create some robust uh, criteria and standardized approaches uh, towards evaluating these aspects. And one of the ways that we're doing it is we're planning future renditions of the Hidden Ref. But in addition, uh, in April 2023, we're planning uh, what we've called the Festival of Hidden Ref, which will be an opportunity for panel members, uh, organizing committee, anyone who's interested, as well as stakeholders, to be involved in these discussions towards creating these, these mechanisms and these procedures of how these aspects of research culture can be evaluated. It will also, of course, feed into the next hidden ref of which we're planning at the moment. I can't say when it will occur, um, but it will be um, the criterion that we evaluate things will be different from the previous uh, hidden ref exercise but at the same point we might expand or construct uh, or contract the categories based on um, based on our, our experience in hidden ref last year but also based on what the reevaluate the reevaluation of the mainstream ref comes up with in early 2023 so at the moment for our read for our listeners benefit uh, after each uh, research excellence framework, there is a period of reflection and re-evaluation of the exercise to see what went well, what you know, what what worked, what didn't work, and how it can be restructured and altered into the future. There has been some significant changes as a to the ref as a result of these re-evaluation exercises, and we expect that it will be no different in when we hear the outcomes from this. Uh, assessment of the REF, which is called the FRAP, the Future of Research Assessment, um, in 2022. So we're hoping that when we're hoping that the hidden REF experiences will feed into the FRAP in some way or another. And also what uh, what suggestions are given to the next research evaluation framework, which is expected around 2028. Don't quote me on that. Um, we'll also have a have an input, impact into what kind of categories we want to include in the next Hidden Ref uh, exercise, how often we want to do the Hidden Ref exercise, as well as um, how many exercises we'll need to do in order to make sure that these, these aspects of research that are not celebrated are celebrated and, are, and understand how much they are valued. And also to be create that evidence about how we might evaluate these aspects, both as part of the mainstream REF or other exercises as well. So is your end goal for the categories that are in the hidden REF to ultimately be part of the, the mainstream REF? I don't think there is an end goal of the hidden REF. I think it would be lovely if there was no need for the hidden REF anymore. But... The mainstream ref is a bureaucratically burdensome, very large uh, process that happens, um, and it is quite large in in its own way. So I don't think that the that it's necessarily feasible to ask the mainstream ref to take on more aspects and more complexity into the future. That being said, 
that doesn't necessarily mean that insights from the hidden ref and the aspects of research culture that are worthy of recognition can't feed into the existing criteria somehow in the in the ref so even though the ultimate end goal would be for the ref the hidden ref not to be needed anymore I see this hidden ref's role as a work in progress, forever um, evolving and feeding into the mainstream ref, whereas not necessarily creating noise and um, and demanding it change. Because the realities of the mainstream ref is that it is very large. Uh, we ran a very small <laughs> fringe exercise uh, to the ref, and it was quite burdensome anyway. So I don't think we don't want to add to the complexity of the ref. That being said, I think that the hidden ref's end goal is to make the mainstream ref more inclusive. And that is in, and that's basically with uh, different categories or considerations, but also more sensitive to the reality of the mainstream ref from the researcher's perspective up, rather than seeing it as a management or organizational promotional opportunity. Uh, I think the realities of research practice and research work need to be reflected and I think the hidden ref plays a really important role in motivating that change and also providing the tools necessary for those changes to be uh, reflected in the mainstream ref and for the mainstream ref um, evaluations to be sensitive to these challenges. You've said there's there are some categories that haven't been part of the mainstream ref and you're able to show how they can be evaluated do you think there are other reasons why there's been a reluctance to include certain categories in the mainstream ref so far? I'm not I'm not really quite sure. I think when it comes to hidden role, which is the panel that I um, oversee, I think that people who are not mainstream academics, unfortunately, are not valued as they should in research culture. And that's because you know, a, lot of, a lot of these people have PhDs or research experience of themselves, but they're not referable because they don't produce research. That's a shame because just because you don't write a paper in a, in a journal that no one will read doesn't necessarily mean that you don't contribute to re- research in some way. Um, and I think this needs to be this needs to be recognised um, because there is there are people who are not referable, who I work with on a day-to-day basis, of which I, whom which I can safely say I would not be able to do my research without them. So I think that one of the reasons why this has been overlooked is because the ref is associated with co-authorship or authorship rather than contributorship, which is the aspect that a person's contribution to research doesn't necess- isn't necessarily reflected only through their presence or of their name on an article. Um, and I think that's for perhaps overseeing and a very narrow idea about what um, a productive role in research culture is. But on the same level, it's a pragmatic and logistical concern as well. It is very difficult to have a... Um, a robust databases of names of contributors where it's easier when we're talking about authors. So I think that when we're talking about data providers and data providers are providing different uh, different indicators and sources of data that are used by these evaluation panels to aid their assessments, not to make their assessments, but to aid the assessments. That's very difficult if somebody's not listed on the paper as an author to attribute you know, their value or to evaluate um, that that particular 
you know, article independent of authorship. So I think it is both a cultural perspective. So it's a, it's a perspective that doesn't see practicing, it sees only practicing academics as, as the loci of, um, of evaluation, but it's also a logistical issue because of the way that evaluations are made and the tools that are used to uh, aid these assessments are very much dependent on the presence of a name on a paper. So it's good that we're having this conversation. This conversation is needed. It's only through these types of conversation that change, conversations that change is made. Is there a particular personal highlight that you've experienced from being involved in, in the Hidden Rare? Oh, there's so many. <laughs> um, the committee, first thing, the committee, getting to know the committee. I got to know people that I hadn't worked with before. I worked with some people in the committee that I had worked for, with before, but had no need to work with them during the pandemic. So seeing their faces every two weeks, every week, however long we had, uh, how often we had um, meetings was involved. The other thing is when it came to the assessments itself, because the hidden ref and its, you know, its objective of, of celebrating all aspects of research culture is translatable to research cultures beyond the UK. So it's, you know, um, even if even if there was a country that didn't have or wasn't didn't have an audit framework similar to the research um, excellence framework, the whole idea that we could celebrate a broader, more inclusive idea about what research culture looked like and, and the people who contributed to it was infectious to people across the world. And so when it came to getting the panellists together, I know I knew exactly who I was who was going to be on my panel and who would be a great person to um, to evaluate, you know, the hidden role category. And all of them were just so, so inspired by the mission that it was actually the easiest panel recruitment I've ever had. And I remember writing an email to everyone, you know, with the thing saying, we're going to, tr we're going to trade on smiles and everybody wins in this assessment. And that's an infectious idea in, in research because research is, far too often divided into winners and into losers. Um, and so to have an assessment process that wasn't focused just on winners, but actually where everybody was a winner and focused on celebrating as every aspect of research was infectious. And actually at the time, which was during 2021, and we're all still, you know, <laughs> struggling with the difficulties that 2020 and 2021 threw at us, um, it was great to have everyone involved. And that was the highlight. The highlight for me was the panel and how well we worked together, how inspired we were by the submissions. There are amazing people out there doing some amazing things that this was an opportunity that we could, you know, that we could make, let them shine. Um, and that everybody was just so happy to be involved. That's, I, I think it would be very difficult, even in the mainstream ref, to find a panel to be as inspired and energised after the evaluation was done than anywhere else but the hidden ref. I think the hidden ref was special in that regard. And that was, that was my happy place. That was my highlight. I think this is an opportunity, I guess, to thank all members of the panels, all the panellists who volunteered their time, usually during a summer period, uh, to read through endless types of submissions and to participate in the panel meetings and the, uh, and assess the submissions. Thank you so much for believing in this exercise and thank you so much con for contributing your insights. Um, we hope to keep you involved as much as forward uh, in future Hidden Ref exercises. 
But the other thing is thanks to my other members of my committee who are just really supportive and inspiring all the way through. And how can listeners get involved with the Hidden Ref? As I mentioned previously, there's the Hidden Ref Festival coming up in April 2023. So check out the website and uh, keep your ears peeled on social media for this event coming up. You can either participate as a panellist or participate as an observer. Again, we're trying to be as open and inclusive to everyone. The other aspect is that we are developing the categories and we are for the next Hidden Ref. And we're also... um, encouraging trying to encourage more submissions than we had in the first hidden ref exercise so there's two ways that people can get involved there they can suggest new panelists either through the web contact details on the website or if you know one of the members of the committee themselves please do drop us a line and suggest new categories but the other thing is encourage submissions if you know someone who has made a meaningful and you know contribution to research culture that is worthy of reward but is not necessarily recognized by the mainstream ref we want to know about them either Uh, tell us so that they can have a category or make a submission themselves to the next ref, which we're hoping will be in late 2023 onwards. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll share the link to the Hidden Ref website in the description of this episode. So please do check it out and you can join in the conversation using hashtag code for thought on Twitter. Thanks for listening.